Welcome to the Field Talk Podcast from the Linder Farm Network. I'm your host, Dan Lemke. While the push is on for lower carbon emissions, not all aspects of the nation's transportation sector will achieve reduced emissions through electrification. Biofuels could be a beneficiary of an effort to produce sustainable aviation fuel. Scott Fenwick is Technical Director for Clean Fuels Alliance America. He joins this Field Talk podcast to explain the potential and realities of sustainable aviation fuel. There are a number of different types of sustainable aviation fuel or SAF. And the important thing to understand is the industry right now, you know, keeps referring to it as this acronym SAF. And it's really important to understand exactly what's being talked about terminology is really important and so actually within the technical world uh you know when we're setting specifications at astm for these type fuels that term saf doesn't necessarily stand for sustainable aviation fuels they stand for synthetic aviation fuels and so that's a new burgeoning market uh of which there is a subset uh, of those synthetic aviation fuels that will be sustainable. Uh, and by that, that's being defined as a 50% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions. So how much of an issue are greenhouse gas emissions from aircraft? How big of a role does that play in, in the overall greenhouse gas picture? Well, the thought is, you know, the the administration currently, you know, would like to electrify as many possible market segments as they can across the transportation. And so certainly on-road and off-road lend themselves a little bit easier uh, towards electrification. Railroads, maybe. Uh, There is some work with electric locomotives at the moment. Uh, The marine segment, ocean-going vessels and aviation are probably going to be the hardest market segments to electrify. And so those are the ones that are being set aside for low carbon liquid fuels, uh, such as SAF. So how does the, the sustainable portion of the, those SAF fuels, uh, you know, how does that potentially benefit biodiesel or, or renewable diesel or soybean producers? I guess, what's the, what's the connection yep. there and how do we, uh, as you know, folks in agriculture perhaps benefit from this? Well, the, the easiest way, if we back all the way up to the feedstock suppliers, uh, today's you know farmers, they're the ones I think that will benefit the most. So there are currently seven approved pathways um, that the FAA has, has approved for the creation of SAF. The easiest, I would say, and that's a relative term, uh, but the most widely produced SAF today is what would be called HEFA or hydrogenated esters and fatty acids. In short, basically it uses those same feedstocks that biodiesel and renewable diesel producers use, such as soybean oil, and creates an aviation fuel. In a nutshell, if you could kind of explain how that, uh, how it goes from perhaps a soybean oil to a sustainable aviation fuel. Yeah, each one of those seven pathways basically has its own production technology. Um, And so you're right, without getting too far into the weeds, the easiest one, the low-hanging fruit in SAF, is, you know, taking today's current 
vegetable oil, animal fat feedstocks like soybean oil, uh, putting them into a refinery, just like you would make renewable diesel from, uh, hydro-treating those feedstocks. And there is some additional after-processing that goes into that, uh, what would be called hydrocracking and isomerization, to create a fuel that would be suitable for use in aviation technology up at 35,000, 40,000 feet where the temperatures can, can reach minus 60. And do we have, um, you know, the, I guess, refining capacity at this point to, to make such a, a fuel? And if not, I guess, what is it, uh, what's it going to take for that to, to happen? So refining capacity uh, has slowly being diminished across the U.S., but as I mentioned, you know, the goal is to electrify so many transportation segments. And so the thought is there could be, you know, 12 billion gallons less in demand by the end of the decade just for gasoline. And so as we electrify the light duty market, you know, more and more households are buying electric vehicles. There will be less demand for gasoline and even some for diesel fuel. And so that will open up some of that existing refining capacity to produce more SAF. But we're still left. Uh, it's not the refining capacity that I would be more concerned with. That's not going to be the bottleneck. It'll be feedstocks. The current market for just domestically for aviation fuel is roughly 26 billion gallons. Now, all of the biodiesel and renewable diesel market today is about 3.7, 3.8 billion gallons. And so we've got a long way to go in displacing petroleum in on-road and off-road markets. And now we're going to create additional demand for those same feedstocks to try and, and supply you know, 26 billion gallons just within the aviation market. It is exciting. Uh, you know, a lot of people have asked over the course of the last year or two, you know, and they start off a question with, is it possible to do, you know, X and Y and Z? And the short answer usually to those questions is, yes, it's possible. Uh, there's a lot of technology that's available in the marketplace uh, to make fuels from feedstocks, uh, you know, that we had never, ever considered before. The problem is that that technology today is, is still quite expensive. And so while it may be possible, it still likely isn't going to be cost competitive with where we're at today. Is that the, one of the key bottlenecks for soybean oil producers? You know, obviously we're a big soybean producing state and want to capitalize on those opportunities. But I guess, is that one of the key bottlenecks or what's it's going to be some of the key hurdles that need to be cleared before this concept becomes something that perhaps Minnesota does become a hub for sustainable aviation fuel? It, it is. Uh, I mean, cost is, is always a factor, uh, whether you like to think so or not. Uh, but certainly... You know, obviously here just, you know, a year, 18 months ago, uh, uproar across the country over fuel prices. Um, and, and that can make, you know, household budgets more difficult. Um, aviation, transportation, you know, flying across the country, whether it be for business or vacations, uh, is, is part of our, our life today. 
you know, unlike maybe 50 or 70 years ago. And so people don't want to, you know, blow their entire annual budget, household budget, just to take a, a one-week family vacation flying down to Florida. So it, it's going to be some, some challenging times as we try and balance decarbonizing uh, our lives uh, with with the costs that are associated with that. Any, any key indicators to watch that might uh, help describe the situation or help us get a handle on what's happening? Yeah, I think, like I say, uh, refiners more and more, and, and and I hate using, you know, bucket terms. You know, a lot of times, you know, there would be headlines, you know, several years ago regarding the RFS or renewable fuel standard, you know, big oil versus big ag. I don't think we can talk like that anymore because these are, are individualized business decisions. Not every petroleum company. Uh, is going to jump into the renewable fuels market. There are some that that will likely stay, you know, stay at arm's length. Uh, others, such as Marathon, Philip 66, uh, Valero, CVR Energy, Holly Frontier, they're they're a lot more proactive. And so, I think you can't read, you know, can't trust every headline you read, uh, every news article or on the internet uh, that pops up. If we did, you know, all of the announcements uh, on renewable diesel production and SAF production uh, would make you think we're already there and we're, we're really close to displacing our petroleum use across the country. That's not quite the case. Uh, we're still going to be dependent upon policies, both at the federal and state level. And so I think here in the near term, any SAF uh, that is produced is going to be shipped to the West Coast where they have low-carbon fuel standards, uh, low-carbon fuel policies like California, Washington, and Oregon. And so you're going to see consumption of these renewable jet fuels out there in those markets where they're subsidized. It's got to be interesting, again, from the, the Minnesota perspective where just the, the beating that kind of the industry took just trying to get biodiesel started some of the opposition and especially from some of the larger uh, industries such as the the rail and, and marine and, and not maybe to a lesser degree the the aircraft to uh, to biodiesel to all of a sudden looking at biodiesel renewable diesel and sustainable aviation fuel as the answer so it's i don't want to say it's kind of come full circle but it's certainly a different perspective from when the industry was just getting started oh absolutely um, I mean, the biodiesel industry, you know, we, the national, what was the National Biodiesel Board, now Clean Fuels Alliance America, you know, celebrated our 30th anniversary last year. And uh, for the first 28, 29 years, uh, we, were, we were having to, you know, to plead uh, with some of the vehicle and engine manufacturers for higher levels of approval. Um, you know, at first it was B5, and, and we, up to now, I think we're we're almost across the board at B20. There's still a few engine manufacturers that aren't at that B20 level of approval. But the discussions that we've been having over the last year and a half have now been 20% is not enough, and that engine manufacturers 
for whether it's biodiesel, renewable diesel, or sustainable aviation fuels, are now talking about 100% renewable fuel. Uh, decarbonization and, and low-carbon liquid fuels are the lowest cost option uh, towards helping them meet their goals uh, of reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And so that's what's really exciting is, you know, having gone from, you know, what many would have considered for us to be a, a B5 cap or blend wall, which we always argued against, to now whether we're talking on-road, off-road, rail, marine, aviation industries, now talking about using 100% renewable fuel in the future. The only other thing that I would add, I mean, while it's it's still policy dependent, as I mentioned, you know, dependent upon low-carbon fuel standards and tax credits and subsidies, more and more what appears to be driving the industry are these what are called ESG goals, environmental and social and governance uh, requirements uh, towards decarbonization uh, and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. So it's it's no longer just federal governments. Now we're seeing corporations, uh, Amazons, Walmarts, uh, Google, uh, that are telling their shipping companies, whether that be, you know, transport vessels you know sailing across the ocean trains running across the country trucking companies they're telling them hey you will reduce your carbon footprint or we'll find somebody else and that appears to be driving the market now more more so now than ever before thanks for listening you'll find other podcasts at linderfarmnetwork.com and on apple and spotify get the latest in farm news and market analysis from your local lfn affiliate